Last Sunday, the last several months, actually, I've been preaching through the Gospel of Mark. Mark is uh, one of the writers, gospel writers, that just kind of gives us a brief summary of the life, ministry, death, burial, resurrection of Jesus, and uh, gives us a lot about it, what he taught, and a lot about the actions that he did. But one thing that he does also show us is the, the kind of the conflict that Jesus had with the religious structure and religious leaders of his day. And we said last week that always throughout our lives and throughout the history of the church, religion has been perhaps the greatest enemy of the love relationship with Jesus. And uh, somehow or another, it's easy for us, once we become Christians, once we get in the church and everything like that, it's easy for us to begin to drift in the direction of allowing uh, activities and uh, uh, rituals and ceremonies and service and all that to become a substitute for just loving Jesus. And... Uh, in the very beginning, I mean, God wanted love. That's, that's what he wanted. That's what he wants from you. He wants you to love him. And you say, well, I thought he wants me to obey him. Well, no, you can obey him and not love him. Isn't that strange? You can actually serve and not love. You can give and not love. But if you love, then you serve and you obey and you give. But see, the motive is what's important. And so Jesus had this conflict with the Pharisees. And last week we were looking at chapter 7 in Mark's gospel, beginning with verse 5 is where we're going to pick up today and just get a little uh, review. I actually uh, uh, preached the first half of the sermon. It was a week before last. And I said I would finish it up today. So uh, let's see if we can do that. The Pharisees then asked, uh, asked Jesus, why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders? But in fact, they even eat bread with unwashed hands. Now, that doesn't have anything to do with cleanliness. doesn't have anything to do with the way your mother used to say, let me see your hands, you wash your hands. No, they're still dirty. Go wash them again. Not talking about that. He's talking about a ritual ceremony that they went through uh, before they ate, where they would pour water on their hands and they would pour it on this way and they'd pour it on this way. It was pretty ridiculous. You can actually read about it if you get what's called the, the Talmud today. You can actually go and read all these rigid instructions on how you're supposed to wash your hands before you eat as a ceremony, a ritual to uh, show that uh, that. You want to be obedient to God. And they just added to it, added to it, added to it. So silly. And so Jesus said to his disciples, hey, let's just thank, let's thank God for our food and let's just eat it. And uh, they would eat it. And the Pharisees came along and said, oh, you're not following the traditions. You're not, you're not obeying the rituals. You're not doing it the right way. And, and, and they asked Jesus, why why are, you, why are you not living according to the traditions? And Jesus said, Well, did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites? By the way, the word hypocrite is just the word that means a person who wears a mask. It's the idea of a pretender, 
Uh, and he said, well, did Isaiah prophesy of you, you hypocrites? Say, as it is written, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. And I'm telling you, God wants our lips to serve him, to praise him, but not if it doesn't come from a heart that loves him. It is possible to sing beautiful praise songs from a wicked, sinful, corrupt heart, and nobody knows except God. There are entertainers. There are, there are performers. There are professional singers who get up on a stage and they sing beautiful songs about God. And God looks at their heart and says, that is just noise to me. That is noise to me. And it is also possible for a person to sing like a calf dying in a hailstorm. Just bellering it out, God, I love you. And, and everybody's going, oh. And God is going, ah, oh, that's beautiful. That's so sweet because he's singing from a heart that loves me. And so God wants our lips. He wants our, our praise. But he doesn't want it first. He wants our heart first. And then our lips. So he says, well, did Isaiah prophesy that these people honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. And then he says in verse 7, in vain they worship me. Their worship is empty. It's meaningless because they teach as doctrines, that is truth, the, the commandments of men. They've, they've made it like, okay, here's what you're supposed to do, and then you get focused on the doing rather than the loving. And we said last time, the last message, this is a danger that all of us face and we can, we can easily substitute doing for loving. And we said that uh, God wants our heart, our love. And I said that the next message, I was going to talk about five things that dulls our affection for God. And by the way, I married a couple yesterday. I love to do weddings. I just absolutely enjoy doing weddings. Did Good wedding for this couple right here from a couple of years ago. Has it been two years now? Three? Three years. My goodness, time goes by in a hurry. Y'all still remembering what I said to you the day you got married? You're loving her like Christ loved the church, right? Mm -hmm. You're honoring, respecting him. Yeah, good. I'll just double check in here, just make sure. <clears throat> and uh, another couple back here. Y'all doing the same thing, right? Okay. Well, let me tell you, it's so easy. For a husband and wife, and that's what I was telling a couple yesterday as I performed their wedding, it's so easy for a husband and wife to misunderstand what marriage is all about. See, a lot of couples get married, and the guy thinks, well, now, what marriage is all about is I'm going to have somebody now that is going to make me happy. Not, probably. And the girl is thinking, Oh, I'm gonna I'm marrying a guy that's gonna make me happy. 
Well, hopefully you do that. Hopefully you, you do, you know, don't make each other miserable anyway. But, uh, but that's not really what marriage is about. When God actually created the first marriage, he's taught us that marriage is a, to be a picture of Jesus and the church. In fact, the, the bride of Adam actually came from the wounded side of Adam. Isn't that amazing? Why would God wound the side of Adam in order to make a bride? Because someday Jesus was going to have his side wounded, and through his wounded side and his death on the cross, there would come forth by faith the bride of Jesus. And so marriage is to be a picture of Jesus and his bride, the church. That's what it's really all about. Now, it also does bring pleasure and joy to us, and it also brings blessings to society when our marriages are healthy and strong. But the main purpose of marriage is not about us. It's about him. It's about God. And so uh, uh, in our marriages, we want, I, what, what my wife wants from me is my heart. She wants, she wants me to love her. She doesn't necessarily want me just to do things for her. It, it may involve that, but a man can do things for his wife, not love her, not make her feel loved. And I tell men, look, you don't, when you love your wife, You've got to love her in such a way that she feels loved by you. And, and ladies, when you love your husband, you've got to love him in a way that makes him feel honored and respected by you. And not just going through the routine. So you're going to see uh, some connection between marriage and what God wants from us because that's why... He instituted it. So what are the things that cause us to lose our affection for God? Now, I know if I were to ask you, do you love the Lord? Everybody would hopefully say, well, yes, I do. But how do we demonstrate that love? God wants our heart. What dulls our affection? And one thing, I'm going to mention five things. There are probably many others, and some of you have probably thought about some. But one of them is just familiarity. Just familiarity. Do you know uh, the first time, right after people get saved, the first time they come to church after they're saved, the worship just is amazing to them. You remember that? You remember when you first got saved and you went to church that next Sunday and all of a sudden the songs meant something different to you and you, you could hardly sing. You, you had a lump in your throat. You were just so in love with the Lord. And the sermon, even if it was mediocre, you got something out of it. You, you thought, oh, that was good. But you do that week after week after week after week. And if you're not careful... 
you end up just, quote, going to church. Rather than worshiping. It is possible that you could go to church Sunday after Sunday after Sunday and you get so familiar with the, what, routine that you lose the sense of wonder and amazement. And, of course, that happens in marriage. You, how long do you have to be married before the, the amazing becomes the routine? Not, not too long. And you get to where you just kind of expect things to go the same way. And, and I, I tell couples before they get married that they need to delight in each other. Delight in each other. I say that's different than loving each other. Delighting each other is it, delighting each other is that the wife is maybe in the house and she hears her husband drive up in the driveway, and she hears the garage door open and like that, and she says, "He's home! He's home! Oh, I, oh, get it, get it!" You remember when you did that? That first week after you're married? Yeah. And the husband, he's all he's just fighting the urge to speed because he's so eager to get home and, and when he drives into the driveway he can't wait to get in and grab her and give her a big hug. Oh, and that's the way really it ought to be. It ought to stay that way. Now, I know some of you are thinking, that's just, that's just dreaming. No, 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 no. That's the way it ought to be. And it can be that way. It can be that way. But you have to delight in your spouse. By the way, and this is just totally different aside. When I was in Belize a couple of weeks ago, on the way down there and on the way back, a little bit while I was there, I read a book. And I have read lots of books on marriage, probably a hundred. My wife loves it when I read books on marriage. And, uh, but I, I've read so many books on marriage, and most of them after a while pretty much say the same thing. But this book, I got some fresh insights on marriage, and I came back with a whole new perspective on loving my wife. And the name of the book, you want to know the name of the book, don't you? In fact, I'm making it required reading for now and before I'll marry any couple. I'm telling you, you've got to read this book. I won't even perform your wedding until you read this book. And it's called, What Did You Expect? What Did You Expect? And it is by Paul Tripp with two P's. Paul Tripp, T-R-I-P-P. I've been married almost 52 years, and I needed that book. And I read it, and I came home, and my wife said, Wow, what happened to you? You know, we'll send you back to Belize more often. No, I said, It wasn't Belize. It was just a deeper understanding of how much I need to love you rather than to try to see any flaws or failures or weaknesses or anything like that. I just love you. And and that's really, really what God wants. He wants that kind of affection 
from us. Where we just and, and there are no flaws in him, obviously. And he wants us to just love him, love him, love him. And so so what what has a tendency to kill that affection? And you know, you once had it. In fact, there's a passage over in the book of Revelation, chapter two, Revelation chapter two, verses uh one through maybe seven. I'll need my glasses on. Well, I'm just going to put it up. To the angel of the church at Ephesus, write, These things says he who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands. So Jesus is writing a church a letter to this church at Ephesus. I know your works, your labor, your patience. But you cannot bear those who are evil. You've tested those who say they're apostles and are not. You found them to be liars. And you've persevered and have patience and you've labored for my name's sake and have not become weary. However, nevertheless, I have this against you. You have left your first love. Look, here was a church that was busy. Oh, they were so, they were a good church. As a matter of fact, they would have probably been setting records in, in church growth councils today. They, they were busy. They were active. They were orthodox. They were, they were straight as a, a, as a gun barrel. They were just as empty. It's the problem. And he says, I, and I know you work hard and you persevere, but you don't love me like you used to. You don't love me like you used to. And that's the problem that Jesus was talking about here. And so how do we lose that love? Just familiarity, just routine, just routine. And then, of course, we lose it through sin. If there is a sin in our life that we're not dealing with, the Bible says that your sin has separated you from me. And you know, even again, in a marriage, if there is some sin in a man's life that he's not confessing and dealing with, it damages the fellowship, the affection, the relationship in the husband-wife relationship. So if there's some specific sin, I'm not talking about just sin in general, a specific sin, and you're not dealing with it, confessing it, forsaking it, it will dull your affection. And then, of course, selfishness. This idea of, well, well, you know, God owes me. And, and again, I, I guess I shouldn't have done this wedding yesterday because it's influencing my sermon today so much. But, uh, but same thing in, in marriage. If, if a husband and wife feels, well, he owes me or she owes me this or that, then it takes the focus off of what I give and it focuses on what I'm getting. And I told a couple yesterday, I said, love always asks three questions. You remember what those three questions are? I've told you this before, and I know you remember it, but I'll just tell you again. Love always asks, what do you need? What do you need? How can I help? And number three, what can I give? What can I give? Selfishness asks the three opposite questions. What do I want or need? What can you give to me or do for me? 
and how can you help me? And see, I don't have any, any, uh, uh, what's the word, uh, responsibility or I can't make that decision. If I'm asking, what should my wife be doing for me? I can't make a choice there. But if I'm asking, what can I be doing for her? I can make that choice. I can choose to give. I can choose to help. I can choose to meet needs. But I can't choose for her. But I can choose for me. And that's what God wants from from you. And so familiarity, uh, uh, sin, selfishness, and then avoidance, just not spending time together. Uh, We used to say television was the biggest uh, hindrance to intimacy and closeness in marriage today. That's no longer the case. What is it now? Yeah. It's that. We got together a couple weeks ago for a family time. I'm sitting there looking around. Every one of the people in the room was on their phone. I'm thinking, it's a family get together. And everybody was looking at Facebook. Now, I don't think Facebook's evil, but it is, what's the right word? It's a serious distraction if we're not careful. I had a teenage girl tell me last week, my dad used to come see me. Now he comes and sits with me and Stays on his phone. That's sad, isn't it? Yeah. So, distractions. Not spending time with. Look, my wife's love language is quality time. That's what she wants from me. That's what she needs from me. I didn't really understand that until about 20 years ago. And I thought because my love language kind of is acts of service. I'd come home from work, and I would start getting busy serving her. I'd I'd sweep the floor, mop the floor. I would uh, vacuum, or I would wash the dishes up or something like that, and she's sitting there on the couch, and and I'm thinking, oh, I'm serving my wife. I'm so, I'm showing her how much I love her. And uh, she told me one day, she said, you know, I, I wish when you come home, you just sit down with me and just ask me about my day and just listen, look at me. So I said, oh, okay, I'll, I'll try that. And uh, so the next day I come in and there's a pile of mail laying over there. And so I picked it up and I sat down on the couch with her and said, well, how was your day? And she said, well, she starts telling and I'm I'm looking through the mail just to make sure, you know, there's not any bills in there or something like that. And I'm listening. And then all of a sudden, she stops talking. And I, I said, uh, what? She said, well, you're not, you're not interested. I said, go ahead and 
check the mail. I said, well, no, I'm interested. I can do two things at one time. No. She said, I, I don't want you doing two things at one time. I want you to just listen to me. And I thought, hmm. Then I read Gary Chapman's book, The Five Love Languages. Have you ever read that? I suddenly realized, duh, my wife needs my full attention. So now I come home and I sit down and I hold her hand and I say, honey, tell me what's on your mind. And I look right in her eyes. And if the television's on, I turn it off. And I put my phone on silent. And I just listen. And she'll talk. And she says, that means so much to me. Let me tell you, God's love language is all five. But one of them is quality time. Can you imagine that the king of the universe, the God who made the world, says, Jason, I delight when you come spend time with me. Makes me so thrilled. You say, well, why would you want to? Why would you want to talk to me? He says, because I love you, and I want you to love me. And one way you love me is by just drawing near see again Isaiah said these people draw near to me with their lips but their heart is far from me so what do we do how do we fix it what, what, uh, what steps do we take and this will be fairly fast Oh, by the way, the fifth thing is substituting actions for affection. That's kind of what I was talking about. Just uh, we'll, we do, we'll do things, you know. We think, well, that, that's what God wants. God wants me to do things for him. Okay, but he wants your heart first. It's great to do things and to do it out of a heart of love. It is possible to do without loving probably impossible to truly love without doing but anyway that's I'd have to think about that one Just don't write that down because I want to rethink it okay so how do we recover there we go good thank you how do we recover five words and we see all these in that passage to the uh, Ephesians the Ephesian church he said uh, in, in Revelation chapter 2 Beginning in verse 5, he said, Remember, therefore, from where you've fallen, repent, and do the works you did at first. And if not, I will come and remove your lampstand from, your, from its place, unless you repent. So, so what is he saying that we should do? First of all, we have to realize and admit that our heart's cold. I... I just don't love God like I used to. By the way, that's the reason from time to time we need to have what's called a revival. 
Every church virtually in America, including Bear Creek Baptist Church, is in need of a revival. Re means again. Vive means live, vital. To to re-live. Know that I live because of God's grace. So realize that our heart is cold, that our worship is routine, that our focus is temporal and material. That happens to us. We don't have to try to make those things happen. They just happen. They just happen. And then the second thing is repent. We have to change our thinking. We have to think differently. I told you before that I have a list of about 53, 52 or 3. I added another one a couple weeks ago. 53 things that I love about my wife. And when I when I get irritated with her or when I get frustrated or when I feel like my affection toward her is cooling, I pull that list out. I keep it on my phone. I keep it on my iPad. I, I, and I have a, a printed copy. And I start reading those things. And I don't get past number 10 before my affection's growing again. I think, wow. I'd forgotten how wonderful she is. I'd just forgotten how much I loved her. I was letting something get in the way. And... I've never gotten through the whole list without my heart changing. I'm telling you, that's what repent means. It means to change your thinking. The the Greek word for repent is metanoia, which means meta means change. Noia is the word for mind or thinking. It means to change your thinking. And if I'm thinking wrongly, My feelings are going to be wrong and my behavior will be wrong. If I'm thinking rightly, my feelings will be right. And when when a man says to me, I I just don't love my wife anymore. I say, well, did you used to love her? Well, yeah. Why did you love her? Well, I can't remember. I said, well, let's think about it. Tell me, why did you marry her? Are you just so dumb that you just married somebody you didn't love? Well, no, 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 I loved her. Well, tell me why you love her. And a lot of times they began to tell me, and I can see the spark kind of coming back. Like, oh, yeah, I'd forgotten about that. Forgot about that. Well, look, the Bible says rend your heart, not your garments. You know, uh, in, in biblical days, the way a person showed that they were repenting over something was to rip their shirt. God says, that's not changing anything. Tear your heart, not your clothes. And so it's to, to repent and then to return. He says, just come back. Come back to me. And then to remember his love. Behold, we love him because he first loved us, the Bible says. And as I focus on his love, his sacrifice, singing about the cross, even just right this morning, just singing about his love ran red, I just just thought, that's why I love him so much. 
He loves me. And then finally, rejoice. So realize, repent, return, remember, and rejoice. It's easy enough to remember. And every one of us can renew our affection for God if we want to, if we choose to. Satan opposes it. Self opposes it. Society opposes it. But God calls for it. Love me with all your heart. Any questions? Does that make sense? I've preached this to me. I've had two weeks to preach it to me. And I've been saying, you know, I needed this message. I want my heart to burn for God. Not not to just do things for Him, but to love Him. And when I love Him, nothing that He asks me to do is a burden. It's a delight. It's a joy. My wife said to me this morning, Honey, would you mind fixing me a bowl of oatmeal and put some raisins and some almonds and some peaches in it? I said, I would love to. So while I'm fixing her oatmeal, I'm thinking, what I'm preaching about this morning is what I'm getting to practice right now. This is not a chore. This is not, can't you fix it yourself? You know, no. It's, it's an opportunity to say I love her and I delight in doing this for her. And so men, make your wife some oatmeal. More. No, just joking. But uh, delight in saying, God, what do you want me to do? And he says, well, I, I want you to do this. I want you to help wash some clothes for some folks next Saturday. You say, oh, thank you. It's a great opportunity for me to show my love for you and for others. And I'll do it. All right, well, let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for the way you just keep working in our hearts. Oh, you just never leave us alone, and you don't let us stay at a distance. You're constantly calling for us. You're constantly welcoming us back and, and drawing us back. And, and I know my heart can get cold so quickly, and, and I know that I can substitute religious activities for genuine affection and and I thank you that you won't you won't let me just keep doing that you keep whispering into my heart I love you so much I want your love for me and Lord that's what I want I, and I want that for our whole church Lord I want to see all of us just passionately in love with you and that even the things we do, we do it because we love you. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.
you for listening to today's podcast. We invite you to like us on Facebook or visit our website, www.bearcreekbaptist.org. If you're not a member of another church, we would like to invite you to join us in person and get to know us and let us get to know you. Have a great week and may the Lord richly bless you.